electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to help you make some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Santa's not only coming to town, he came early. The Santa Claus rally got rolled on Monday, and he's been leaving us presents ever since, including today, when the Dow gained 197 points, rarefied territory, the S&P climbed 0.62%, new all-time high, and the Nasdaq jumped 0.85%. And hey, why not? We've gotten some great news on the COVID front over the past couple of days. That's pretty defining. Even though Omicron is exploding across the country, the government's finally gotten serious about testing. And it's looking like the strain is less lethal than the previous ones, especially if you're fully vaccinated. Throw in the new antiviral pills from Pfizer and Merck, which you can take when you're symptomatic. And it's like the pandemic has been downgraded from, say, a Category 5 hurricane to maybe a tropical storm. Without the prospect of a shutdown or a lockdown on the rise, remember, that's what really crushes the market. But it, then stocks have been prepared to rally hard, uh, purely on the strength of seasonal patterns, fund flows. And as you can tell, the absence of bad news, nothing's happening. It really is the most wonderful time of the year, at least if you own stocks. So as we wrap up 2021, I think it's ideal time to give out some fantastic presents. Why don't we call them, uh, how about the Cramies? Named after, well, um, me, because it's my show. To those who helped us make money while handing out lumps of coal. And let's make it anthracite to those who've done real damage to our portfolios. I'm sure they're going to love that part. <laughs> the first cramming goes to Pfizer, which distinguished itself not once, but twice this year. First having a booster vaccine ready and then coming up with an antiviral pill that stops COVID. And it's tracks for 89% of the people who've been infected. Come on, it's like genius. For years, Pfizer stocks has just languished. Going to the pandemic, Wall Street was petrified of its upcoming patent cliff. 
Now with the vaccine boosters and the antiviral pill, where they could sell tens of millions of these things if they can make them, can't make them fast enough, obviously, you could easily argue that the stock's uh, run from 37 to 58 doesn't even go far enough. By the way, I'm stunned that our government didn't take its cue from Pfizer and tell us that we probably need three or four vaccinations to stay ahead of the COVID paucity. They did know. Instead, they called it a booster and made people feel like our public health experts were totally clueless. Pfizer was always concerned. They've been so consistent. Second, Cramie, what goes to, I know, David Faber would say, of course, Jim, NVIDIA, which put on a great show this year as its stock surged from 130 to 296 on the back of the best chips for gaming high-performance computing, autonomous driving, and the metaverse, or the omniverse, as they call it. Their omniverse graphics card can help create perfect lifelike imitations that can be used to make a digital twin of pretty much anything. Whenever you hear a company like Meta Platforms, the artist formerly known as Facebook, talking about the potential of the metaverse, know that it's probably going to be powered by the likes of NVIDIA. For me, it's the enterprise side of the story that gets me excited. This technology will be used to create digital twin factories in order to help businesses come up with better designs and eliminate, most importantly, waste, which is probably one of the, going to be one of the biggest stories for the rest of the century. Eliminating waste. What manufacturer wants to shut things down as it, as it figures out how to improve its processes and waste less? Much easier just to use a digital twin. Meanwhile, it won't be long before we have digital avatars taking our orders at fast food restaurants. I bet they make far fewer mistakes than humans. Maybe none of them. They speak in 28 languages. Even if I'm totally wrong about what the metaverse will look like, I know it will run on NVIDIA's chips, which is what really matters here. Under the leadership of Jensen Wong, the visionary CEO, the company's leaving the rest of the industry in the dust. The next one feels a little trite, but I'm giving a cramie to Elon Musk, and not just because I'm cribbing from Time Magazine. This guy's revolutionized the auto industry. He's made his shareholders' fortunes in the process, with the exception of Ford's Mustang Mach-E. A big shout-out, by the way, to Ford's Jim Farley, who took his stock from $8 and changed to $20 on the backs of great cars like that one. Elon Musk remains the king of electric vehicles, if not the king of all taxpaying capitalists, and he's still just getting started. Kind of actually joyful now. Fourth, Cramie, we don't often salute the oils. But I think it would be nuts not to celebrate Rick Moncrief at Devon Energy, the oil and gas producer with a stock that jumped from $15 to $42. Rick was formerly the CEO of WPX and then merged his company with a much bigger Devon, keeping the CEO title and turning the combined entity into a disciplined oil juggernaut. The new Devon is a different kind of oil company. It's one that cares about rewarding shareholders rather than spending like a drunken sailor on new wells. And that's how the variable dividend can give you an equivalent of a nearly 8% yield. Close second in the oil patch, and by no means do I mean to slight, is Scott Sheffield, pioneer in natural resources, who's done pretty much the same thing. In the old days, the words discipline and oil men almost never belong in the same sentence. That's all changed now. Pioneers also got a new emphasis on trying to be cleaner and greener. What's not to like? Final creamy, obvious, Apple. Okay, Apple stock has rallied 33% year-to-date. Can you believe that? It's the largest company on earth. There, this was one more year, though, where the analysts wouldn't stop downgrading it and reporters wouldn't stop trashing it. All you had to do was ignore them and follow my sage advice. Own Apple, don't trade it. So with the awards out of the way, who deserves a lump of coal for costing us money? All right, let's start with the People's Republic of China. For decades, China was communist in name only, but suddenly the government is returning to its Maoist roots. Had to happen eventually. And that's decked pretty much every major Chinese stock from Alibaba to JD.com, which just got hit today with a big chunk of of its own shares being dumped by by Tencent. I think that was government ordered that. I'm not kidding. Has President Xi lost his mind? Not at all. 
In order to tamp down on internal dissent, he's going after the super rich. And most people in China, who, by the way, are not super rich, seem to love it. Just another reason not to own Chinese stocks, though. Next, I have to say that the SPACs and their shameless sponsors have done more to damage the stock market than anything since the dot-com collapse. Almost all of these are bad. I wish the SEC would just shut these deals. Why do people keep buying them? A fool and his money are easily parted by a SPAC. It would be okay if we didn't have so many regular IPOs, but they're coming in record numbers too. And now the market's drowning in supply of both IPOs and SPACs. Third lump of coal, I don't like what Biogen has done with its Alzheimer's drug, but I'm even more disappointed in the doctors who, who uh, on the FDA who approved it and went against the panel of doctors who, who actually analyzed the thing. Alzheimer's is now a two-horse race, and I'm putting my money on Eli Lilly. Their drug comes up for FDA approval next year. Stock is very strong today. But while we're heaping shame, can I just say that Mo, Larry, and Curly of this pandemic are the CDC, the FDA, and the NIH? Even when they're right, they're doing damage because they either have differing messages or no messages. Some shoot from the hip. Others say nothing. I think our democracy has been poorly served by these bureaucrats. I know the Biden administration wanted to defer to the scientists, but they've taken that way too far. Finally, let's not forget about ATT. Wrecked by management, the company destroyed one of the most pristine balance sheets in the industry with questionable acquisitions to the point where it had to cut the one thing investors actually wanted from the company. The dividend. Shameless. Just shameless. Bottom line, look, I don't want to end on being a Grinch. Tis the season to be jolly. So let's just say that with the averages up nicely, it's terrific that Santa Claus has been hanging around town. Let's take some questions. Let's go to Steve in California. Steve. Booyah, Jim, and major props for playing Hurt. I'm calling about Lowe's. Oh, thank you. Employee, See, I, you're welcome. As an employee, I can purchase shares pre-tax with a 15% discount. What do you think about Lowe's? Take as much as you can. I think Lowe's is going to have a great year. I think Marvin Ellison's doing fantastic just to still continue to revitalize the chain. I also think that, by the way, it's going to be another good year for uh, making your house look better. Uh, Lowe's is a winner. I like it very much. Let's go to Corey in Massachusetts. Corey! Jim, thanks for having me, man. Hey, listen, I've been a caller and avid watcher of the show since 2012. And, man, I I can't believe Arena Pharmaceuticals with that Pfizer thing last week. You remember that one? How do you like that? How do you like that? Pfizer's got a ton of money. They're taking a lot of shots. What's going on? Yeah, not much. Hey, thanks again for having me on. So, listen, you know, I've been trying to find some stocks that have been beaten down, you know, obviously with the pandemic, right? Um, You know, I've been looking for strong network effects. And got to tell you, you know, I think this guy, he's a world-class CEO. You know, I think they've been executing, as you probably know, very good throughout the pandemic. What are your thoughts on Uber? You know, they were able to get a profit going this past quarter. Uh, but curious to get your thoughts here on the long-term, uh, you know, aspects. Well, first, thank you for those kind words. Now, I've got to tell you, Corey, I was studying the stock today because it, uh, I saw it at 35 last week. Suddenly, it's at 44. That shows me there's a lot of tax loss selling that is now gone. I agree with you. It's well run. I think it's got a chance to have a big year in 2022. Thank you for those words. Santa Claus has been hanging around town this week. And in the spirit of giving, I've handed out presents to those who are on this year's good list. Pfizer, NVIDIA, Elon Musk, Devon Energy, Pioneer Natural Resources, and Apple. 
Oh man, buddy, tonight, as we hunker down to make it through the next few weeks of the Omicron breakout, I'm going to sit down with the CEO of Box to find out if the public company now could be the perfect investment for the moment. Then before we close the door on 2021, I'm tapping one of the strangest stories of the year, the destruction of the SPACs and the destruction of your capital, and pointing out the, pl- the plays that could survive the SPAC clash, trying to take a positive approach. And it's the season of giving. To celebrate, I'm highlighting one private company that's developed a unique way to give back. I hope you'll give back, too. And stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As we hunker down to make it through the next few weeks of the Omicron breakout, although I'm, about, I'm going to try to break out myself soon, there's a new company that's the perfect fit for the moment. I'm talking about Boxed, which is like a digital big box retailer for bulk consumables. Think food, household, lifestyle products. Boxed just came public by merging with a SPAC and now trades under the ticker B-O-X-D as in dog. But he first joined us on the program in March of 2017. On top of their e-commerce business, they've also got a software as a service division that gives their clients access to their e-commerce platform. In some ways, I'm more interested in that these days. Regular viewers know that I am very skeptical of most SPAC names, but after a quick pull back to nine bucks. Boxed is now soaring. Currently sits at 11 bucks and change after more than 10% gain today alone. So let's take a closer look with Shay Wong. He's the co-founder and CEO of Box. Learn more about his story and the company's business. Mr. Wong, welcome back to Van Buddy. Thank you so much for having me, Mr. Chill. Uh, I remember that uh, interview in 2017. I promised we'd go public and here, here we are years later. Well, thank you, Chair. I remember the interview well. I looked at it again today, and I was so hopeful then. And then here it is. It's happening. So why don't you tell us about uh, about the growth since then, because it's pretty spectacular. Yeah, you know, since then, it's just been a wild run for all of us. Um, and so uh, our business has flourished. Um, our business has also diversified quite a bit. So we've been servicing more business customers, uh, you know, since we last chatted. So about 25% of our uh, revenue pre-COVID became B2B. Of course, COVID really uh, provided some headwinds for that business. But you just mentioned about how we're poised for this post-COVID growth. Um, as that business, the business business comes back, uh, we're well poised to take advantage of it. 
Well, let's talk today about this, the uh, software as a service angle. Now, uh, a few years ago, Amazon basically gave its, uh, let's say, its infrastructure for smaller and medium-sized business to uh, Shopify. It was the dumbest thing Amazon's done and the smartest thing Shopify's done. You sound like that you figured out a way to be able to help other businesses without giving up the goods. Tell us about how that's working, for, particularly in, uh, in Asia. Yeah, you know, um, what we found is that actually this uh, software and the entire technology infrastructure that we built uh, is really valuable, not just to us, but for other folks out there as well. So uh, we began licensing it out and working with other gigantic uh, retailers all around the world, starting with Southeast Asia. We've also signed an MOU uh, with a group in the Middle East. So in these developing parts of the world, I think they could really use uh, the software and the technology we built. So um, uh, we continue to hone it. So it's a symbiotic relationship. As we get better, the software gets better. As the software gets better for other folks, uh, that inures to the benefit of us here in the U.S. as well. All right. Now, because we've known you for a long time, I, I need you to think about this. I would have thought that there would have been fewer redemptions when you did, the, when you, you did your turn for SPAC. Um, I, I wonder whether you now want, whether you think, geez, maybe an IPO could have raised us more money. And the reason I say that is because I know you as a great company. A lot of our uh, people on my staff use you. And I, I felt that no one should have redeemed, meaning not give you the money. How did that work that, that, uh, that it was much less than $259 million that I know I thought you'd get? Yeah, so in the end, uh, gross proceeds ended up being about $198 million. So between the pipe that we raised, some great names, uh, and also uh, the folks that didn't redeem, uh, it ended up being about $200 million. In the traditional IPO, we probably would have raised a little bit less than that, you know, just given our market cap is still, uh, you know, sub a billion right now. Uh, but overall, uh, you're exactly right. It's a tough moment for SPACs. And, you know, when you look at that chart, I just feel awfully blessed that, like, we're one of the few out there that the street has responded well to. Um, I think it's because of the story. I think it's because of everything that we do and that we have done. Um, but overall, man, it wasn't the easiest process uh, in the world uh, to de back. No, no, I knew you'd be honest about it, too, because, look, I think you got a great company. And I was so glad to see it above 10. We've been so tough on the SPACs. But to me, if you just give people a little sense about how the millennials, this in many ways, this, this is a very well-known brand among millennials. Um, some of the older people just think, oh, listen, if it's not Costco, I'm not interested. But this really works both for people in the suburbs and country, which is a lot of people who have been uh, uh, in a hybrid home. And also uh, in the city, it must be doing terrifically. Yeah, you know, um, it, that's absolutely right. And it's partially why I, I thought anyone redeeming, uh, I, I was, you know, I, I don't know why they, they would, uh, especially given, you know, right after we debuted, it, it spiked up to 16, 17 bucks. So if they had just held on uh, a few more hours in the next trading sessions, they would have saw some really great returns. Uh, but overall, now's the starting line. We're going to continue to service those customers. We're also going to continue to grow the software business, which, by the way, in our latest S4 filing, we actually took up uh, our revenue from 12 to 17 million for this year and took up next year's number uh, as well. Uh, just a lot of robust growth there and also uh, um, just a really bright future for the overall business. And then one last thing, I need people to understand, uh, uh, as much as I love Costco and big position for my terrible trust, your, uh, your actual cost model is about as low as possible. No, you don't have people checking people out and you also obviously don't really have brick and mortar other than fulfillment centers. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, that's absolutely true. And also our demographic is really different. So the last read, it really surprised a lot of the analysts on our analyst day that, you know, close to 70 percent of our customers as of our last uh, uh, survey uh, said that they lived out in the deep suburbs 
or in rural areas all across America. So these are folks that don't have a 30 or a Costco or anyone else close to 30, 60, 90 minutes uh, next to their home. So uh, we do think the demographic is a little bit different as well. Well, look, it's terrific. You've come a long way from 2017. Congratulations <laughs> to Shea Wong. He's the CEO and co-founder of Box. It is great to see you. In, and in, I, I revel in your success, sir. Thank you. Thanks, sir. Okay. Everybody's back after the break. Coming up, as the curtain falls on 2021, the SPACs are taking a bow. Kramer names his winners from a space that's claimed this year's calendar as its own. Next. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. close the door on 2021, we need to tie up one of the biggest and strangest stories of the year. I'm talking about the rise and fall of the special purpose acquisition company. The SPAC attack, followed by the SPAC lash. Remember, these are big policy money, blank check companies that then use that money to make acquisitions. Last year, SPAC mergers became a way for red-hot startups to come public without going through all the hassle and, yes, the regulations of a normal initial public offering, or IPO. This has been the busiest year on record for traditional IPOs, but it's also been the busiest year by far for both SPAC fundraisers and SPAC mergers. Now, as I've told you time and again, these SPAC deals have been disastrous for their public shareholders. Disastrous! However... They keep coming because if you're an institutional money manager investigating a newly launched special purpose acquisition vehicle is a guaranteed win. Unfortunately, it's also proven to be a terrible deal for most of the companies that have come public by merging with SPACs, as well as for the regular investor, you, who got in too late to benefit from all the institutional kickbacks, and that's, you know, put little quote marks around that, that are built into these things. The general trajectory for these SPAC stories is lower, and you'll rarely go wrong if you simply steer clear of a particular one or the whole group. But there are still some post-SPAC merger winners, and I think anything that could survive the SPAC clash deserves a closer look, because that could mean a long-term winner, too. Since last December, CNBC has been keeping a running tally of closed SPAC deals, and following a group of stocks created from these deals, that now has 193 names. When we look through the top 25, they're all up from the $10 benchmark. Remember, that's where all SPACs start trading when they raise their initial pile of cash, 10 bucks. While these winners also tend to be down huge from their highs earlier this year, you know what? We've had some interesting stories that we're going to pay, pay close attention to going forward. When you look at the top 25 SPAC stocks, there are a bunch of electric vehicle plays. You've got two well-known electric vehicle makers, Lucid, okay, I've ridden in one of those, and Fisker. You've also got a pair of electric vehicle battery plays, QuantumScape, very controversial, and the less well-known Enovix, which has a broader set of end markets and seems closer to achieving meaningful revenue than QuantumScape is. Then you've got two charging stations, so many charging station stocks, but you've got ChargePoint and Wallbox, both of which have real sales already. Yay! Uh, even as, of course, they're still losing a ton of money. The number one performer among the SPAC stocks is something, one that you're probably familiar with if you watch the show, 
which is MP Materials. That's Mary Peter Materials or Mountain Pass Materials in reality. The Rare Earth Minerals Company we heard from just a couple weeks ago. Now, they're the number one producer of rare earths in the Western Hemisphere. You know, in other words, China has a real hammerlock, so it's good we have these guys. And you need their materials to make all sorts of technology, including types of electric vehicles. They recently signed a big long-term deal with General Motors, and stock's only down 17%. Uh, Hard to say only, but in this case it is. Only down 17% from its peak in the spring. That is pretty darn impressive for a SPAC name. Then there's one you called me about the other day called Luminar, which makes LiDAR systems for advanced driver assistance and autonomous driving. It's like radar, except they use lasers to ping the surrounding uh, surroundings rather than radio waves. Interesting way. The problem with these electric vehicle and uh, electric vehicle adjacent stocks is that most of them are still a very, 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 very long way from turning a profit. They trade on potential future sales and earnings many years down the road, which is the last thing you want in an environment where the Fed's getting ready to raise interest rates. I keep telling you we want tangible stocks here, not conceptual ones, other than MP materials. These are all pretty darn conceptual. What other groups are in? All right, how about this? Got some alternative energy names. There's STEM. We've had them on. It's a company that makes smart energy storage systems that allow businesses to toggle between the power grid, their own power sources, and batteries. That one's got excellent bookings. Then there's Arkea, which is a renewable natural gas play. And, you know, that's a space that I really believe in, and I'm going to spend a lot of time on in 2022. You've got some packaged food names like the iconic Utz brands. We've had them on a bunch of times. And then Tattooed Chef, which makes plant-based foods. I think there are safer ways to play the industry here. Stick to the big dogs because they've got the heft to pass on rising costs to the consumer. The other ones are better when there's a non-inflationary environment. Within the top 25 SPAC stocks, though, there are three that caught our eye here. That are, you, One of them you see all the time trading in what's called the crawl underneath. It's called Matterport. This is more of a conceptual stock, but I really like the concept. Matterport's technology can scan real-life spaces in order to create digital twins of those spaces. It's very useful in construction, office management, and real estate promotion. By the way, remember, when we first heard that digital twin, it was Jensen Wong, NVIDIA. Now, this kind of thing could become the foundation of the metaverse. That's what Jensen was showing us, something every big tech company wants a piece of. While the company's still a long way from profitability and the stock trades at 21 times its 2023 sales estimates, it is growing like a weeb. You know what? This could be a decent speculation. I know a lot of people want to speculate on it. I'm blessing it. Just be sure to put on a small position here then use any weakness to gradually accumulate more on the way down because this 2022 is not going to be a year for speculative stocks. Second is one that's more in style with the current environment, and that's called open lending. Now, open lending is a lending enablement platform for the auto financing market. Basically, they help lenders determine the creditworthiness of borrowers. In other words, they're a technology tool for lenders. At a time when the auto market's booming, there's tremendous demand for auto lending services. I like this. More importantly, this company's been putting up some terrific numbers. In the most recent quarter, they reported more than 49,000 loans certified using the platform. That's up 138% year-over-year. Total revenue up nearly 98%. Even better, open lending should be able to earn a little over a dollar per share this year which means the stock currently sells it for just 23 times earnings. That's earnings. You didn't hear me wrong. Earnings. It's only that cheap because the group is expected to slow to 15% next year. But I think you got a good entry point right here, given that the stock's been cut nearly in half from its highs. Right now, open lending's being weighed down by, yes, the chip shortage, which is hurting auto production. Fewer cars equal fewer auto loans. However, after what we heard from Micron earlier this week, I wouldn't be surprised if the auto industry could overcome that semiconductor shortage sometime in the middle of next year. 
So that's why I'd be a buyer. The negatives have been baked into the stock, but the potential positives, they haven't. Finally, there's a company called Blue Owl Capital. Now, this one's pretty interesting. It's unique in that it's the result of a SPAC merging with two companies, Owl Rock Capital, and that's O-W-L. I'm from Philadelphia. It makes it sound like A-L, I know. Owl Rock Capital and Dial Capital Partners. They're both part of the private equity ecosystem. The Owl Rock side of the business is a direct money lender to companies that are owned by private equity firms. The Dial, that's D-Y-A-L, capital side of the business, makes minority investments alongside hedge funds and private equity firms. Basically, if an alternative asset manager needs more cash when it's trying to buy something, they can turn to these guys for help. Niche but smart. Unlike so many SPAC stories, Blue Owl's already a major player. You know, they got $70 billion in assets under management. They, their revenues uh, expected more than double over the next three years. Earnings are growing at a nice clip, too. It's a buy. All right, here's the bottom line. While most SPAC stocks have been hideous performers, there are still some winners here, and a few of them are actually even worth buying. I am blessing Matterport for extreme speculators, open lending for auto loans, and Blue Owl Capital as an arms dealer to the private equity space. You know what? I think we should take some calls. And we're going to start with Alex in Indiana. Alex! Hey, booyah, Mr. Kramer. How are you doing? And a Merry Christmas to you. Booyah! Oh, same uh, to you, partner. What's happening? Uh, I'm good. And I hope your wife is doing better. I heard from you that she has She is COVID. doing better. Oh, that's yeah, great. I mean, she, um, I ring this and she comes. So I think things are better. Uh, and until she knows that I just did that, and then we're getting divorced, so whatever. Go ahead. Well, um, it's good to hear she's getting better. My question I'm calling in today yeah, about, um, I've got about a three- to five-year investment horizon, and I've been interested in this company uh, called Skills. It's a platform, a unique partnerships with the NFL. They recently acquired Arkea Digital Marketing Company with about a reach of over half a billion users. But one of the things that kind of concerned me about was that the CTO stood down for supposedly health reasons. And I'm not too sure about buying more of it. It's went down from 12 to eight bucks, but one of the things that really got me interested again in it is that it's it got a lot of insider buyers. It's got the CEO and the CRO, and the CEO, Mr. Paradise, he previously sold his business that he built, Isle Buyer, to, uh, into it. With a huge short interest of around like 22%, I'm just not sure that there's any more shorts that can really push it down any further. So I'm just wondering, well, is this a good time you know, to average down? They're, they're losing a lot of money, so I'm not going to urge you or suggest that you average down. But they do have sales growth, so I don't think you need to sell it. But some, it's not necessarily putting good money after bad, but uh, they need to make money before I'm going to urge anyone to buy a new stock in this, in this environment. But thank you for the kind words. Let's go to Mark in Pennsylvania. Mark. Jim Boya, how are you, my friend? First, I, like I am good. How about you, Mark? What's going on? Wonderful. I'd like to thank you first for introducing micro technology in your show. So far, I'm up 31.5%. About draft. Excellent. I own about 500 shares for the last two years. I have made some money, and recently I lost my shirt. And you mentioned on your show a while back, stay away from companies with high P.E. ratio and no earning in this rising interest rate environment. So my question is, should I liquidate my 500 DraftKings shares and cut my losses? Or hold on, 
please. At this, uh, you know, look, this Penn National is, by the way, the worst performer, one of the worst performers in the S&P. I don't want you to touch this stuff. Uh, I would not sell it. I do think that as new states become, uh, uh, get licensed, these guys have been winning. But there are so many players in it uh, that that's why I think it's going to be uh, in this cost of acquisition game. And it costs a lot of money to get a new customer. But uh, I would not sell the stock down here below 30. And thank you for the nice, nice words. 2021, the year of the rise and the fall of SPACs. The SPAC winners are few and far between, but I like this Matterport for extreme speculation, open lending for auto loans, and Blue Owl Capital as an arms dealer to the private equity space. So much more mad money ahead. In the spirit of the holidays, am I one private company that's giving back with just a point and a click, and I hope we encourage others to do the same. I'll find out if it can serve as a template for other businesses. Then we spend plenty of time talking about the non-farm payroll numbers. But what about the profitable companies that help power those stats? I'm going to give them their due. And, of course, all your calls rapid fire in a happy holidays edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. As we wrap things up for the year, how about a feel-good story before the holiday weekend? Get rid of Scrooge. Regular viewers know, I think, that business has become the most powerful force for social change in America. But not every business cares about doing good. Even the ones that don't, what they do, they're not necessarily systematic about it, which is what's necessary. What does systematic look like? Well, maybe it looks like Celadon Financial Group. That's a privately held, full-service broker-dealer that's been in business for over three decades. Last year, as COVID wreaked havoc across the country and helped fuel a wave of social unrest, Celadon's management team decided they had to do something about it. They decided to do more to support charities that work to help the disenfranchised. Came up with a novel strategy. A portion of the commission from every trade they execute is directed to a charity of the client's choice. Not only does this help raise money, it also introduces people to a host of charities that maybe they've never heard of otherwise. You know what? This sounds like a great program, maybe even a template for all of us. So let's take a closer look with Dow Hirsch. He's the CEO of Celadon Financial Group. And Suzanne Curry, who's the senior managing director of the Celadon Foundation. Dow, Suzanne, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks for having us, Jim. All right, Dow, let me start with you. I think this is a terrific sure. idea. Uh, I wish more people would do it. I want to know how it came about and whether it's working on a day-to-day basis. So it's actually been some long time in the thinking, but certainly with COVID coming around, we thought that this was a great opportunity to do something. And God knows the world could use a little help. And if we are in a position to do so, we'd like to do that. Um, it's really a collaboration of all the management at Celadon and Frankly, Suzanne has been very instrumental in helping us create this situation, and we're looking forward to it very much. And it's got multi-facets, so we think a lot of people can participate, and we just hope to do a little bit of good here. All right, Suzanne, tell me, tell me about some of the multi-facets. And Suzanne, what really matters to me is, is how easy is it? Because I think that there's, it's very difficult to give money, particularly stock, to charity. And I think it's a big stumbling block, and you seem to have found ways to be able to go beyond it. Well, that's right, Jim. Um, And I have personal experience with that. I ran a capital campaign for an organization I belonged to about three years ago, and we got about 30% of our donations in appreciated stock. And it took us months to clear the stock. And it was just onerous, uh, documents, notarizations, et cetera, et cetera. So when we decided to establish the Celadon Foundation, 
uh, we wanted to make sure that we had a technology platform that could expedite the movement of the stock and the liquidation of stock. So here's how it works. As you know, Jim, we have two sleeves of clients. Our bread and butter business is our money management business, meaning that money managers use Celadon Financial Group as an execution platform to buy, sell options, equities, fixed income, currencies, whatever the uh, investment that they're trading. Uh, we have decided that we would take a percentage of those commissions and allocate that to the Celadon Foundation for donation purposes. So therefore, a money manager can not only uh, talk to the fact that, that they are doing this program, uh, but they can talk to their investors that are very, very interested these days as to how much support money managers are giving to causes such as ESG, diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, programs of invest, uh, in responsible investing, the Nature Conservancy working woodlands, climate change, etc. And by using the Celadon Foundation, uh, they can demonstrate to their client base that a percentage of those commissions are going to designated charities. This is a very important sea change. The second group of clients is that we're finding that we're getting enormous interest from charities, uh, and they are looking to ask their donors for appreciated stock. Why? Because the market is at an all-time high, Jim. You know this. And um, right. for well, um, uh, investors, uh, rather, well, I, I'm sorry, for donors, they're very excited about having the opportunity to give stock as opposed to just a cash donation. Okay, so Daryl... I, I am a big believer in doing business with companies that do something for charity. It's one of the reasons why I like Salesforce. Uh, Tom's a main. It's one of the reasons I use them as opposed to, a, let's say, a, a branded uh, toothpaste outlet. Has this actually given Celadon uh, more of a name in the business? Is it a, a, because, and by the way, I want to emphasize, that's not bad. I want everybody who's charitable to get more business done. Right. So I don't know that it's really blown up yet. We're kind of in the formative stages, but we've got everything in place now. It's taken months to get it here, Jim, and we're pretty excited about what's about to take place. So as we enact this, we're seeing a lot of interest, and it really seems to be coming together in a, in, in a very fruitful manner. We've got a lot of people who are interested, and frankly, you said you like to give business to other people. We're around, so <laughs> um, we just feel good about giving something back. That's really what it's about for us. And Daryl, is there has everyone embraced it? I mean, is there anybody who says, "Listen, you know, I don't care what you do," or people looking over the list, choosing, looking at some of the ones that you've selected? Is it, it, it is it interactive? It is interactive, and we've had a lot of great feedback. We've had nobody who said this is a terrible idea, other than they said, "How can you afford it?" Because um, you know, commissions these days are you know somewhat slim. Uh, there was a race right. to zero. Uh, Celadon is not involved in that race, so we get to participate in this, and that's why this program came about. Well, look, I want to thank both of you. It's a nice story on the eve of, well, not Christmas Eve, but on the eve of what Wall Street celebrates as Christmas Eve. I'm so glad you come on the show. Indeed, not yet. It's Dal Hirsch and Suzanne Curry of Celadon Financial. Thank you so much to both of you. Have a great holiday. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. 
The lightning round is next. It is time. It's over the lightning round. Of course, one another, save yourself, I take about it just because you know the course I win you and play this out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Steve? Dad, tell the lightning round comes back. start with Ian in Florida. Ian! Hey, Jim. This stock has had a tough year and is near an 18-month low. It was very popular last year, and you've recommended it at much higher prices. What is your opinion now for Penn National? Is it a buy at this level today? Look, I like Penn National. I liked it low. I liked it high. I think Penn National is a winner. And I think that it's done a lot of good things, and just the gambling has become a very difficult job. Uh, we all know those stocks have been in a, in a, in a terrible war. So, I mean, don't expect anything in your turn. But I do like Penn National. Let's go to Clint in California. Clint. Merry Christmas, Jim. Merry Christmas to you. Um, I've been watching this stock for a while. Um, I think you should be doing better. Um, I'd just like to know your opinion. And if you think they're going to get their FDA approval, uh, the company is Vericell, uh, symbol F-R-V-C-E-L. We see, they actually have revenue. I totally agree with you. I think it's a buy. They've got good technology. It's the type of stuff that's a, that a company's going to want to buy them. So I say stick with it. Maybe even buy some more. Let's go to Leslie in Nevada. Leslie! Hi there. How are you today? I am good, Leslie. How are you? Good. Listen, I've had this plug power, C-L-U-G, for over a year, and it's uh, $29, okay. and I bought it at 52 So what should I do with it? Okay, now, the reason why it's down is because we don't like the speculative stocks anymore. Once the Fed starts raising rates, I continue to push say that to you. you got to make something and sell it at a profit. And right now, plug power doesn't. That said, it is a spec on uh, the hydrogen economy, and it is a legitimate hydrogen player. Let's go to Ira in South Carolina. Ira. Hey, Jimbo. Love you. Mean it, man. How you doing? Oh, man, doing fine. How about you? Uh, I'm doing great. I wanted to ask you about BP Midstream. I bought them at ten ninety nine a share just over a year ago. Just announced this week, BP is going to acquire BP Midstream. The shares popped 20%, went up over $15 a share. What should I do with them? Oh, man, you take profits on that. You won. You went the lottery on that one. I was shocked that they did that, by the way. Maybe it bodes well for the other uh, limited partnerships, but that was a major home run for you. I want to congratulate you. Let's go to Johnny, North Carolina. Johnny! Hey, Jim. I'm calling about a uh, company I like a lot. I'm worried about the stock in the rising rate environment. It's 30% up, now I'm 30% down on it. It's next door, ticker K-I-N-D. Well, yeah, you're right to worry because this company doesn't make any money. But I would say uh, let's put some away because the fabulous Sarah Fryer is the CEO, and she is a moneymaker. At $8.80, I have to say that I would be very happy to pick some stock up in that one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, make things, do stuff, and profit. Can it really be that easy? Kramer gets back to basics with the fundamentals that could make you money. Next. 
We spent a lot of time ruminating on the Labor Department's monthly non-farm payroll report, the single most important piece of data we get from the government, in part because employment has a huge implication for the Federal Reserve. It makes sense. But maybe we don't spend enough time talking directly to the payroll processors, like Marty Musi at Paychex, the second largest player in the industry that's focused on small and medium-sized businesses. Marty runs a remarkable company. It's one that's chronically underestimated by the analysts. Wall Street views paychecks is kind of just a play on the float. How much interest they can collect by holding on to their clients' cash before they mail out the checks. Yes, risk-free. They see it as a company that's hostage to short-term interest rates. In reality, though, paychecks has become a 360-degree source of all truth for all things business and an incredibly important advisor to small and medium-sized enterprises. That status is what allows them to continually beat the estimates. Perhaps more important, as the number two payroll processor in this country, the company has its finger on the pulse of the labor market more than almost anybody. And what they're seeing, as we heard last night, is a remarkable confluence of smaller businesses and newer businesses that are expanding like crazy. Ones are service businesses or brick-and-mortar retailers or online outfits like the two million companies that have gotten started recently with the help of Shopify or the hundreds of thousands that are built around Etsy. I followed Paychex since the stock was in the 30s over a decade ago, and this is the most bullish they've ever been. Now that the FDA has approved a pair of antiviral pills that, that fight COVID, one from Pfizer, one less effective from Merck, I think we're going to see the pace of hiring accelerate even more because many people who've been scared of the virus will be willing to go back to the workplace once they know they can just take a pill and get back on their feet. Now, I think these antiviral pills could allow businesses to create many more jobs in this country without causing wage inflation because the existence of an effective treatment for COVID will bring in tons of workers off the sidelines. At the same time, it will help solve the supply chain crisis as the companies involved in the logistics side have an easier time finding employees. And that is the choke point. I don't think I'm overstating this. With an effective treatment for the virus, we can return to the good old days of 2019 when we had strong growth without much in the way of inflation. Sure, some of our current inflation has to do with genuine product shortages. That's like corn, like coffee. But most of our inflation is directly related to COVID and its impact on trying to get product to market. If we're able to get more people into the workforce at their old jobs, especially in transportation, and we keep seeing the employment gains that Paychecks told us about, then we could be in a situation where the economy is strong enough to handle multiple rate hikes from the Fed without missing a beat. That said, I don't think these bills change the whole character of the stock market. Like I said at the first CBC Investing Club meeting, 2022 is the year where we invest in companies that make things or provide actual services in order to make actual money. If you invest in unprofitable companies that trade on hopes and dreams, I think they'll blow up in your face in the new year. I hesitate to recommend any of them here, and I know many of you wish I would. But profitable companies that can thrive in a strong economy, if we get the return to the workforce that I'm predicting with these antiviral pills and the job growth keeps coming, maybe 2022 will turn out to be a lot better than most of us expect. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.